Let me just introduce before I pray, actually. So normally at Magdalen Road, um, we work our way through books in the Bible. We think God has given us books, and so the most sensible thing to do is to slowly kind of preach our way through books and sections of books. So once a year, um, about now, we have a more topical series where we um, look at different passages or different ideas from the Bible and try and think through things and chop it up a different way. As you'll see in a moment, this year we are doing something thinking about our, our current culture Um, I will do lots of definitions in a bit, but we're thinking about what what the iGen culture means, and particularly how the gospel relates to that and to all of us. Um, So let me pray for us, and then we'll have a um, think about that for a bit. Father in heaven, we thank you for um, the scriptures, for the Bible that we have in our hands. Thank you that your word is living and active, and thank you that it is sufficient It's sufficient for us to live godly lives that please you. Help us to understand better the world that we live in and help us to understand better how to live faithful lives. Help us to be in the world but not of the world and to really grasp what that means these six weeks. In your son's name, amen. Um, I'd like you, please, to all raise your hands That's not rhetorical. I'd literally like you to raise your hands. And if you have been online at all in the last seven days to take your hand down. If you have been online at all in the last seven days to take your hand down. Which I think basically, Ted, well done. (laughs) And Margaret as well, are you hiding? Isn't that extraordinary? that 99.5% of people in this room have been online in the last seven days. I recognise there are some babies and small children around who um, can't raise their hands. But you see, the world that we live in is changing. Of course, in one sense, the world is always changing as humanity has grown and developed. Even from its earliest stages, there has been change and growth. You can read in Genesis 4 of the development of of all kinds of tools for working and and musical instruments for making music. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. We'll see it was part of the original mandate in a bit. But it's, it's clear and agreed that there has been an unprecedented, extraordinary development in technology over the last 20 years. And it's not slowing down. In 1995... As I went to university, I can remember getting my first email address, dds587 at bham.ac.uk. And I would send emails to those very few friends and family who also had email addresses. I can remember first going onto the internet, and I remember visiting a shop, in fact, called Amazon. It was about a year old, as it turned out. I can remember the genuine thrill of visiting a website in America whilst being sat in England. It felt like a spy. And of course, from there, things have developed at an incredible pace. Whether it's phones or computers or VR machines or wearable tech or gadgets, things aren't slowing down. It's going to continue. Indeed, the rate of change that's occurring means almost literally the minute you buy something, you commit yourself to being out of date again in just a couple of months' time. This is, this is an unusual time for us to be alive in. 
I can remember my first mobile phone. In fact, prior to that, my wife Zoe and I had something called a pager. Remember them? If you're old. <laughs> Goodness, no. Um, what you would do is you would ring a number, you would leave a message, and that message would be texted to someone, assuming they also had a pager. I also had something called a PDA, which was a personal digital assistant. I think it was a handspring visor. Anybody else have a PDA? Thank you. I should form a club. <laughs> but talk about great examples of technology becoming obsolete and redundant so quickly. Because now what we have for each of us is a mobile phone. The majority of us will have these in our pockets or our bags or we're, we're on them now with almost infinite uses. They're more than just phones, aren't they? They double as, as games consoles, as global mapping systems, as cameras, as video cameras, as calendars. Your music is there. There are videos and TV programs and box, set, box sets there to watch. You've got news feeds, your social life, your Bible, your prayer lists, your health records, your bank cards, your shopping, your sticky notes and reminders. And as the phrase goes, there's almost certainly an app for that. As well as it being a phone, where you can talk to people, and you can message them on your messages, or your WhatsApp, or your Facebook Messenger, whatever it is, or video messages through Skype and through FaceTime. And technology is on an unprecedented ex exponential curve. And as at any stage of society for the Christian, for the believer, we need to understand how to live faithfully now. What does it mean to be in the world yet not of the world now? What does it mean to be a faithful believer here and now? With the challenges and the pressures that we face here and now as individuals, but as a church as well. Of course, these these things are more than just phones. They are a window into our hearts. Your screen time shows what you care about, what captivates you, what allures you, what excites you, maybe even what you, you, you really worship, where your idols are. If you've got that new function on your iPhone to tell you what you spend your time on, maybe in home groups this week, share some of that. What does your phone provide for you? Because here's the thing. It's not just that the world that's changing. No, secondly, we are changing too. As the world changes, as technology continues, so humanity changes. And so what I want us to do over the next six weeks or so is to try and think a bit more about how we as society changes and as the world changes, as technology develops, how we are to live faithfully. People argue that that change is happening and that's largely, though not entirely, driven by technology and largely, though not entirely, driven particularly by mobile phones. And many of you may well be thinking, well, what is an iGen? What is an iGen? Is it dangerous? Can you buy them off Amazon? So some definitions as we begin. An iGen is for those people who are born 1995 onwards. If you were born in 1995 onwards, 
technically you are described as an iGen. That is, if you are about 23 or, or lower, then that is you. So it's those people who do not remember a time before the internet. The first generation for whom internet access has always been available. They were early adolescents when the first iPhones came out in 2007. Well, the first iPads came out in 2010. Even if your smartphone is a Samsung or a, a Nokia, I think they still make phones. Even if your tablet is a Kindle, then you're an iGen. And indeed, even from more disadvantaged backgrounds now as well. Whatever the um, economic background, just as much time is spent on mobile phones now. The average teen checks their phone 80 times a day. Some of you thinking, wow, that much? Some of you thinking, is that all? The average adult in the US watched almost three and a half hours of screen time per day in 2018. Three and a half hours a day looking at these things. So the I of iGen stands firstly for internet, but secondly it stands for individualism as well. Individualism. You see, there's this astonishing global access that we now have to information and people and cultures and knowledge, but we largely access that information as, as individuals, rather than in bodily community together, rather than in groups discussing and processing and debating and thinking and down the pub just talking about ideas. No, we just look at it on our phones by ourselves. It changes the way we do community. It changes the way we interact socially. One person put it like this. The smartphone is causing a social reversal. The desire to be alone in public and never alone in seclusion. Now maybe we're thinking, well, phew, I, I was born before 1995, so I'm okay. But, you know, if we're 24 and above, we're not off the hook either. Because it's the culture that we all live in, isn't it? We might be perplexed and we might struggle to understand it. We, we might far too easily, swiftly absorb it and take it in. It's, it's affecting us. It's subtle. It's a bit like the conversation between two fish where one says to the other, well, what's water? We, we don't realise it's all around us. We don't realise how much it's changing us. So for many of us, it will be the, the culture that we are parenting in or, or teaching in. A number of teachers in this room. How do we help our, our littler ones navigate these kinds of pressures when we ourselves are struggling to navigate them too? What does it mean to be in the world but not of the world? Are we to be Amish? To, to totally withdraw? Or do we just jump right in and, and not worry about it? Has your... Has your phone made its way onto your New Year's resolution list, if you've made one? Not to have it by your bed, perhaps. To buy an alarm clock, maybe. Not to check it first thing in the morning, perhaps, but try and read your Bible and pray before you open your phone. Do more things that make you forget to check your phone, perhaps. Spend time outside. And so for the next six weeks, I want us to spend a bit of time thinking about some of the ways in which the world is being impacted and then so how we are being impacted too. 
and to show, to help us to see that Jesus is the answer, the gospel is the answer. The gospel is good news for the iGen. How do we gospel ourselves where we find our hearts have been shaped and moulded by our culture? Indeed, how might we share the good news of Jesus with those who, who don't know a time before the internet? And so what we'll do each week is we'll spend a bit longer than normal as an introduction. I'm spending time on, on the, the topic for the week, trying to understand our culture, and then spend some time in a Bible passage looking at it through the iGen lens. That makes sense. So let me just run through um, six weeks. This is a longer introduction than normal, but I want to try and set things up for you. Um, if you've got a program already, then you will have seen some of these, these titles. They may be confusing, but hopefully here's a bit of clarity for you. So I'm picking up a particular thread each week that sociologists have identified, and then helping us think Christianly about them in light of the gospel. So the first one this week is I'm just on my phone. That is, we are totally connected to phones. We struggle to do without them. We leave them behind and we're anxious. The second one is, I'm in no hurry to adult, thanks. That is, sociologists have shown that there's now a reluctance to take responsibility. To adult has become a verb. And for many, adulting is something that ought to be delayed for as long as possible. To not take responsibility for as long as possible. The third one is a big one, and that is I'm not feeling safe. Safety is a massive theme for the iGen. It seems that it comes from an access to the internet which raises the awareness of potential dangers and threats. When you've got all this information and you see what might happen, then that's a scary thing. And so physical safety is paramount, apparently. Seatbelts, high-vis jackets, helmets... But actually, it's more than that as well, because there's an emotional safety element, too, that comes in. An aversion to ideas or words that make me feel unsafe. This is why you get safe spaces in university and colleges. That can lead to protesting against particular speakers coming. They get deplatformed because they might challenge me in a way that I don't like. I don't want to hear what they have to say, and so I won't let them speak, because my emotional safety is paramount. And some would say, well, because words are seen to, to do me violence, then it's okay for me to be physically violent to restrain your violent words. In 2017 in the US, there were a number of violent protests on different college campuses, Largely because of that. It's okay to be physically violent, to restrain your violent words that I don't want to hear. We'll explore something called intersectionality, where, in broad terms, his, historical minority groups have been sidelined, and so now they have a sort of paradoxical power over majority groups. If you're from a group that's been sidelined in the past, then now you have the platform and the right to be heard over against me. The fourth one is, I'm not them. That is, you've probably felt something of the massive tribalism in our culture at this time. Massive division between people. Hands up if you voted Brexit. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but isn't it interesting whether Brexit or not Brexit is the kind of thing we probably don't talk about that much, much or, or Trump or not Trump on that side of the Atlantic. 
we've largely lost the ability to engage in rational arguments. Groups are incredibly polarised. Arguments are, are very quickly escalated. There's not much thinking or listening that happens anymore. There are, are logical fallacies everywhere. Feelings are more important than facts, often. And so certain cards can sometimes be played about how you make me feel by your words, and then the issue is shut down. The conversation has to stop, regardless of whether it's true or not. The fifth one, week five, will be, I'm feeling anxious. And sadly, there is a huge mental health epidemic amongst the iGEM. Lots of it seems to flow from a kind of loneliness, but there's anxiety, depression, insecurity in all kinds of shapes and sizes. You can track it, you can look at the figures, and it's huge. It's very common. Far more than in previous generations. This is a thing. Maybe it's the access to too much disembodied information, the inability to deal with ideas that I don't like, that make me feel unsafe and fragile. Millennials, that is, 1977 to about 1995, just pre-iGen, are sometimes called snowflakes. Maybe you've heard that. They're, they're special and they're fragile. Well, iGen seems to be more susceptible to that fragility. And then sixthly, for our last week, I'm spiritual but not religious. Strikingly, the numbers tell us that iGen is not wholesale turning their backs on spiritual things at all. But what happens is that I for individualism comes out in not wanting to do things as they're told. That is, religious structures and beliefs and history even are, are sidelined, particularly where those beliefs contradict what I think or disagree with me. So a kind of, well, I might believe in God or something beyond what I can see, but only insofar as he, she, or it, or they don't contradict what I want to be true or what I think is true. There's a moulding and a shaping of belief around me. So that's the initial map. Thank you for bearing with me. If you're just visiting us, I apologise. Do um, head back onto the website and you'll hear some of these talks in the weeks to come. But I've tried to pick those larger topics that will, will gather together lots of thinking and ideas from the iGen generation. Some kind of coherent structure to sort of draw them all in together. Maybe then we can com comprehend and critique it. Of course, it's not all bad. We want to see what is good and take what is good and yet then hold it up to the lens of Scripture. And today what I want to do, that was just the introduction, you'll be fine, is to follow a thread through the scriptures that relates very strongly to our use of technology and to phones, what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. How does who Jesus is relate to the online world in which we live? The Bible teaches us at the heart's of it. it is a God who made the world and a God who rescues the world. And this God who made things made bodies. We see real bodily relationships at the heart of his creation. So flip back, if you will, to Genesis 1, if you've shut it in your Bibles. And as I say, we're just going to be looking at a thread that weaves its way through the scriptures. And hopefully you'll see why this really matters. 
for us as individuals and us as a community of the church. So then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. You see, we are created bodily for bodily relationship. Words are powerful. We serve a God who speaks and who communicates with us. And we speak and communicate with each other. But human beings are not just words. It is worth saying that at times words on their own are profoundly useful. Do you remember as we were working our way through 2 Corinthians before Christmas, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth... And remember in chapter 2 he said, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came I would not be be distressed by those who who should have made me rejoice. Do you see, he, he sends the letter beforehand. Some things are better said at a distance. Sometimes a letter, sometimes an email perhaps, sometimes a a text message is better than a face-to-face conversation, but not for everything. And of course, that is why anonymity online is such an important thing, why it's so dangerous and destructive. The modern-day equivalent of a balaclavered terrorist or bank robber or thief or KKK member is a troll on social media hiding behind no photo and fake details. Because anonymity is so powerful and destructive. They are hiding for a reason. They don't want you to see who they are. But you see, words and bodies were made to relate together. Say that again. Words and bodies were made to relate together. The bodily nature of our humanity is even there from the very beginning in Genesis 1. We are made to relate with bodies. We are bodily creatures who bear his likeness in some sense. One person put it like this. That's a surprising storyline of the Bible, that God has huge plans for his world involving small bodily creatures. Flick ahead in your Bible. So chapter 2. 21 to 24, we were made to relate bodily to one another. Again, famous words. The first marriage, the first poem in scripture. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And you know, over the years, Christians have so unhelpfully borrowed from Greek thinking and got this wrong. This idea that bodies don't matter. This idea that only our souls or our spirits matter is is not biblical. It's as if we're a packet of fish and chips from the chip shop. Do you know the paper on the outside that you get used to be newspaper, now it's that sort of white stuff. It's incidental and it's disposable and what really matters is what's inside. The food on the inside. 
But actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. We are bodies and souls. It all matters. In one sense, we are neither souls with a body or bodies with a soul. We are both and. Now, of course, we do live by faith and not by sight. We do set our minds on things above. More on that in weeks to come. But we are bodily creatures. We are to relate to each other bodily. It's interesting, though, there's very good solid evidence that there are fewer teenage parties happening than in years gone by. And you might think that's a good thing, but it's striking why the reasons are given for not having teenage parties anymore. One 18-year-old said this. I should say, nobody I know, it's not my daughter, don't worry. She's not 18 either, but... People party, he says, because they want something to do. Now we have Netflix. You can watch a series non-stop. And it's the same for hanging out with friends at the park. I used to go to the park after school and play football until I was allowed. But teenagers now are less likely to hang out at the park, and they're more likely to be on screens. Bodily friendships are being replaced by virtual friendships but we are made to relate to each other with bodies. It's striking as well that our bodies are our means for relating to God. So it's not just that we relate to each other horizontally with our bodies, but we relate to God bodily as well. We saw it through Leviticus before Christmas on Sunday evenings. Again, do catch up online if you've not listened. Really helpful stuff. Think of the physicality of the sacrificial system. Blood. Animals smells, smoke. You could touch it, you could smell it. It's tactile and physical and tangible. There are bodies involved at the tabernacle and the temple. We're not meant to relate in an esoteric way to God, but with words and bodies at a particular time, in a particular place, in community, it was costly. It was bodily. Maybe in home, think a bit about that in terms of how our bodies control us or shape us or impact how we relate to God now. What about praying on your knees? Why would we do that? Why would we not do that? As we humble ourselves before him, our bodies matter. Maybe we've lost something of that in our current generation. And it surely means if we have a strong preference for communicating with disembodied words now then in part, that goes against the created order. Maybe we might, with others, ask, what does it mean that we prefer email over a face-to-face meeting? Or text messaging over a conversation? Is it okay to break up with someone via text message? Why? Why not? What does it mean that there can sometimes be extraordinary dramatic self-disclosures online. Do you see that sometimes? Maybe you've done it. The stuff that people share online, they would never dream of sharing face-to-face. It's as if people feel they can escape online. It doesn't feel real, and so we reveal all kinds of things that we wouldn't reveal in a face-to-face conversation. As a pastor, it's fascinating. You can learn a huge amount about people through what they face, what they face, what they post, What is our technology doing to our ability to communicate? 
What does technology teach us about ourselves? How does technology subvert the created order? With more and more meetings now over Skype and FaceTime and those kinds of things, how does that change our relating in a business world, in a social world? How is technology changing us? Third one to say is we have fallen bodily. So there's something remarkably physical about the way Adam and Eve first sinned. You see, she looks, it's pleasing for the eye, it's good for food and for gaining wisdom, and so she takes and she eats. And then she gives some to him. And then God, when it's all been discovered and out in the open, sacrifices animals, it seems, and physically clothes them to cover their nakedness and their shame. A life is lost, blood is shed to provide a covering. And so as Jesus then comes, we have been rescued by a body. He's not just a voice, he's not simply an audible word. But no, do you remember John chapter 1 from before Christmas? The word became flesh. He lives among us. He dwells. He tabernacles. As Eugene Peterson puts it in the message paraphrase, that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory like father, like son. Or as John then writes in his first letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 1 John 1. You see, the problem of our bodily rebellion and our sin and our turning our backs on God is not simply solved through information. It was the same with John the Baptist, who came before Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. He's described as the voice of one calling in the desert, but he's more than just a voice, isn't he? He, he wears clothing made of camel hair. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's a kind of Elijah figure. He, he stands in a river and he baptizes people. And he ends up getting beheaded for his faithfulness. As you see, God makes himself known through, through prophets, but they're real people. And then supremely through his son, his embodied son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he so loved the world that he gave us his son who, who came, was incarnated in a body, who, who died bodily for our sins on a real cross, who was raised bodily from the tomb, Physically, you could touch him. Physically, he, he ate fish. And then he ascended bodily and is now seated even at the right hand of the Father in heaven with a body, with his resurrection body. Which means, of course, that the future is physical. We will be bodily in heaven. In the new heavens and the new earth. Our faith is a bodily faith. I hope you see that. That's basically what I've spoken about for the last 15 minutes. Is that hit home? Which I think means that our use of technology can be problematic. 
In terms of our faith, phones are a really great supplement, but they're not a substitute for it. They can serve us and help us to live the Christian life, but it's right that, with, as with all technology, we ask hard questions of them. Simply put, as I read the scriptures, we are headed for a face-to-face straightforwardness with the Lord. We, we shan't meet him on Skype. We, we shall see him face-to-face. That is the destination. Revelation teaches us that. He will, he will get out his hanky and he will comfort his people. He will wipe tears away from their eyes. And if that's where it's all going, if, if indeed that is what we were made for, then surely that means that virtual church is a problem. Now, of course, some people can't attend church for a very good reason, and so an online service of some sort is a brilliant thing. And maybe we should start one. We don't have one. But there is a growing movement of these online church services that mean you can stream, partake, pray, consume, give, but never bodily be with another person. All from the comfort of your front room or your bed under the duvet, snuggled up. And that can be really attractive, can't it? I'm often struck when you read the New Testament just by by the frequency of Paul writing and urging diverse, broad, complicated churches to remain united, to forgive each other, to actively love, to be reconciled, not as an option or a nice idea, but simply as real family, as living it out, even though it costs us. And online you can avoid that. Isn't that tempting? That can be a real problem with the online community, though. I will do various book reviews um, through the next five weeks. But one writer puts it like this. He says, Our online communities of like-minded friends are often marked by a positive feedback loop where affirmation and assent merely reinforce existing prejudices. In such contexts, communities become insular, echo chambers of accepted opinion, closed to opposing voices. Communities that fail to embrace the benefits of disagreements and fail to work through tensions and differences tend to become homogeneous and unhealthy because they tend to have exaggerated blind spots and unaddressed weaknesses. You see, coming to church on a Sunday can be a really hard thing. And I know that. And yet the thing about online communities is you can just block people out you don't want to hear. You mute them or you unfollow them, you ignore them. I know some of you each week will count the cost as you come to church on a Sunday morning, even though it's really hard for you. You would rather listen to the service online. You would rather listen to somebody else preaching online and then listen to YouTube or sing along to YouTube at the end. It's basically church. Of course it's not. Because we need each other in these bodies. If that is you, can I say thank you for being an example to us of perseverance as you come week by week. Thank you for, as the writer to the Hebrews would put it, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
because staying in bed can be really tempting. Or avoiding people and keeping them at arm's length can be really tempting. Online relationships can be so much easier, so much less complicated, so much more filterable. But we have a bodily future. And so I take it we have to go against the culture and even go against our hearts and make the effort to talk to people today, to, to get to know them today. And it might be awkward at the start, but actually it's the way God designed things. Because he gave us each other to refine each other and to knock off those rough edges. Some of us, we would far rather retreat and be private And indeed, our phones are making that more and more possible, and maybe even our phones are fueling that desire and shaping us and moulding us in our individualism and our inability to cope with things we don't like. But God had a plan when he thought about church, and he knew how important the bodily meeting was. Not just as we sit here on a Sunday, but actually as we grab a coffee and chat afterwards. Indeed, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper in a moment. And that is a profoundly bodily thing, isn't it? Jesus could have just said, remember the cross and remember my body broken and remember my blood shed. But he didn't. He gave us something to eat and something to drink and something to to take into us even, to become a part of us even. We were made with bodies. And I wonder if our use of phones and technology can unhelpfully usurp that. Let me lead us in prayer. And then we'll pray. Father in heaven, we've already sung of your extraordinary grace this morning and we thank you we thank you that you are kind and patient. And when we, when we get it wrong, when we use technology in an unhelpful way, we thank you that even there, there is grace sufficient. Help us please to wrestle with this idea of our, our bodily existence as believers. Help us to be increasingly shaped and thinking as you do with that hope of the physical new heavens and the new earth to come. Thank you that one day you will see us, we shall see you face to face. Thank you that then we shall be comforted, that you will wipe away all tears from all eyes. But until then, help us to know, please, what it means to live in the world but not of it in a way that is faithful and pleases you. Help these phones to be slaves and not our masters. In Jesus' name, amen.